Start and end your day with the good news. The good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news. Hello, it is Angie Austin and friends. Doug and Leslie Gustafson are here uh, taking a break from counseling people to coming here and counseling people. <laughs> Maybe true. You know, same, know. Same, same, same. I know, it's so funny. <laughs> All right, so I, I've told you guys about the Mean Girls uh, group at my kid's school right yes. now. That principal's handling it. Well, the principal just stopped me. I was just at the school this uh, afternoon. And uh, I, uh, he said, do you have a second? And I, I didn't really. But I said, sure. And he said, I didn't respond to your email yet. You know, um, uh, and I wanted to apologize. And uh, I said, oh, it wasn't really that important. It's just this group of six. Um, we call them the mean girls, but there's one boy in there. And uh, they had gotten in trouble for passing mean notes in math class. And uh, Hope, my daughter, said they'd all been called in. And she said the principal was very upset that it was continuing the mean you know, notes and yeah. that they all got called on the carpet. And I'll tell you what he's doing to be very proactive with this bullying kind of situation. Um, and she said, Mom, I wasn't in that math class. I'm in a different math class. I said, well, did you tell him you weren't there and that you're not even in that math class? And she said, no, I was afraid because he was upset. So I just emailed him to say, I don't want to negate my daughter's you know, responsibility for being in this group of six people where they're kind of picking on each other, which I'll explain. I said, but I, um, she wasn't in the class, so she wasn't part of the group. But what he's doing and what happened is I think there were a couple of like best friends in this group and then they got new friends. And two of the girls are adopted, and I tried to explain to Hope that, you know, when you've been adopted, you do have new love in your life, but you feel like you might have lost love, especially in mm. the circumstance where, in the one case, the, the girl knows her siblings, and they're in another country, and she doesn't get to see her siblings because they're so far away. I said there's a sense of loss there, so when you're no longer only her friend, she might feel she's lost you, and so hurt hurting you with her words and saying mean things to you might just be because she's hurt and she's mm -hmm. feeling even though you're still her friend you're not her only friend she doesn't own you you mm -hmm. know and there's been a little bit of that ownership where she's not wanted my daughter to be friends with certain people and I tried to explain I think it's because of her loss that she wants you all secured and like in the little nest of best friends with just the two of you and so Hope's very welcoming and has welcomed some new friends another friend who was actually adopted mm. with a bunch of siblings who then they've gone on to other families as well so again when yeah. you not only are not with your parents but you've lost siblings um, even though you're very loved in your home, there's a sense of loss. So sure. I told Hope again, you're just very blessed that you know, you've got your parents, you've got your siblings, you've got your grandparents, you've got your nanny, you've got like extra love. And so you have to be extra kind and mm. give it back to kids that might be hurting. So anyway, when he stopped me in the hall, what he's doing with this group of six because they've been, do you like so-and-so anymore? No, I don't. Or like mimicking them. Because I said to the girls, just ignore them. Well, you can't when they're mimicking you. Mm -hmm. And when it's always been your best friend, all of a sudden she's mimicking you and everything you say she repeats on the playground. I said, well, go stand by the TA that you like. The TA just loves my daughter. She was her first friend. She was, I was that TA's first friend three years ago. I was the first kid that became her friend. <laughs> so I saw the TA the other day in the lunchroom and I said, um, I understand you've been a real help to hope when this 
stuff starts on at mm-hmm. recess. I said, I told her to stand by you because she says you, she's your first friend. And she burst out laughing. And she said, she was my first friend. I love hope. And oh. I said, well, I told her to stand by you if she ever feels like she can't get away from the picking on or bullying or whatever yes. you want to call it. Well, here's what the principal's doing. So I'll tell you what he did when he called me over. He said, look, I don't think hope's the problem. I think she's part of the group. I said, well, I'm not going to be the mom that says my kid's not part of the problem because I know she stands up for herself and I know that she polices other kids' behavior. And the other day someone used a bad word and she decided she was going to let them know that 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 was a bad word and here's where they shouldn't use it. I said, I don't know that you're the language police on the, and I I, I appreciate that it was a word that we don't use, but sometimes (laughs) you just have to teach people by example that you don't have to police the kids. So then in his discussion with me, I said, I really appreciate you being so pro active because you know there's a kid in the same school district that committed suicide 10 Mm. years old just the other two weeks ago Mm. 10 years old and they're calling it bully side anyway i don't know all the details on that because a lot more is coming out but suffice it to say this principal isn't sleeping under the rug he takes all six of them and he has talks with them excellent and they don't get to go on a regular recess they have to volunteer with the younger kids in the lunchroom and helping them help them get a fork or open their milk container or open their doritos if they can't open them so and then they have to go up on the little kids recess and help them like um, navigate like arguments or help them while they're playing you know um, foursquare or whatever so he split them up into groups of two and they have to volunteer together excellent don't you think that's good and then yes. they, they got journals and they have to write about how to handle situations and then they've had talks about how they could better handle you know navigate this bullying or whatever within this mean girls group as they're calling it and um, I said well what did you say hope and she said I said we need to work on our tone, that our words are okay, but our tone is not. Because we talked about that at home, uh-huh. you know, about sure. tone and how it can really change the meaning of what you say. So anyway, I'm, I, I'm glad this principal, he's, you know, they're busy. Yeah, but so. that's a great strategy that he chose to do. I mean, he's bas- basically prescribing the symptom, which is to say helping them not do what they're doing with each other and helping the other kids the younger be kids. better people in the way that they've been failing. So, yeah. And, you know, takes up their time, too. So they can't sit around and just bag on each other. Right. Yeah, <laughs> which seems to me, wow, it's so young. It seems young to me. I know it. Ten. They're ten. Right. Ten, I guess. I think it'd be great if schools had programs <clears throat> that weren't a reaction to a group like this, but had students be volunteering, learning service, learning how to take care of one another or take care of younger ones so that the school has built into it a milieu of values. I think some schools do that. Idea. I think some schools do kind of the older kid, younger kid We do some of, of that thing. reading groups and mentoring. Yes. There's a reading together group where the, there's an older kid, the older class comes in with the younger class and they're teamed up and then there's an after school reading group, same thing. And kind of caring for the, the younger kid. ones. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a little bit of that. But I like the idea of they're just like in the lunchroom walking around being helpers. Yes. Because they, they, those kids need a lot of help. I sit there, I'm like, you can't get your own fork? No, we're not allowed to. You have to raise your hand to get your fork. Oh. If you, ha- if you forgot to get it, you know, it's not every kid. But uh-huh. I'm like, milk, it's amazing who, who can't open milk. Right. When you're little, it's kind of yeah. hard. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know sometimes or I mess it up, The chip bag is even still hard, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I know, I know. So, yeah, I was just appreciative that he... Well, and they take the journaling, action. too. 
That's kind of a bit like journaling and answering yes. questions and talking about your feelings and how you could better handle things. I thought that was I know pretty good for yeah. 10, yeah, age 10. Absolutely. Yes. All right. I have a couple of good news stories. I want to start with this um, UC, UPS driver. Now, when you hear this UPS driver's excitement, so, you know, it's Christmas time. They're doing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, deliveries. And so they're very busy. And have you heard about some of these Amazon drivers? Like, hundreds of packages a day and they don't even have time to stop in between to like use the restroom and things like that yeah they got i i, I saw one headline it said santa's little slaves <laughs> and it's like they're delivering so many packages and have oh, you, have you know were you freaked out at first when you saw like the uh like the, the um subaru wagon you know with like a fake wood siding or whatever pull up to your house and you're like who is that and then they have your amazon box like it's like Amazon was, Uber. Yes, it is. It's <laughs> Amazon Uber. And in a way, I think that's cool that we found ways for housewives or people who are unemployed who have a vehicle to find a way to make money with their own vehicle. It's kind of creative. Yeah, and it speaks volumes about how busy and slammed Amazon is. I know, that whole two-day delivery thing. They really got themselves in a We don't even need that. to go to the mall anymore, let's face it. I know. It comes <laughs> so quickly. It's like... If I put it on my to-do list or I order it, it can literally be there faster than I can get it off of my to-do list to get batteries or whatever. You know? I know. Amazon has like the perfect business model because it's like, you know how you go to Target for toilet paper and toothpaste yeah, yeah. and you end up spending $250 and right, other stuff? That's right. yeah. Amazon's the same way, only you can do it while you're in the bathroom. I know. You don't even oh have to go gosh, to Target. too much information. <laughs> well, he means not the he's day like ever I mean, Not the office. In any room at your office. house. Um, and they have those dash buttons now where literally it's so goofy. If you're out of toilet paper, you can have a dash button by the toilet paper or in your kitchen or whatever, and you just push that button and it automatically knows what you want because it's like a tie dash button or, you know, a, you know, a, a toilet paper dash button and it will send it to you. You just push the one button and if you've seen it, it's like, a, it's about as big as a keychain, and it's for the specific product and it has the product name on it. Wow. Because they've had them on sale for like 99 cents. And I'm like, wait, so you spend 99 cents and they send you this button. And then whenever you run out of toilet paper or you're close, you push the button and it'll be there like two days. I mean, is it that oh hard my. to pick up your smartphone? And we hear and just about how horrible our country is all the time. And yes, we have a dash oh, button for TP. Yeah, we have. Yeah, look what we have. <laughs> yeah, look I mean, that's what I say. Welcome to okay, America. Let's count our blessings. Let's right. We have, a, we have a new yeah. challenge now. It's like who can get to the doorstep first when you've bought a package for your partner? Yeah, speaking of welcome to America. <laughs> Welcome to America. Um, my um, my husband, you know, he, we were talking about the love languages this morning, mm -hmm. and my two co-hosts this morning had no idea. It was about a psych. I'm a psychologist. The title said, and he said, "This is one problem I consistently see in marriages, and it had to do with people not knowing the other's love language." Right? It's been around forever. Right. And so we my, even my have it two nitwit co-hosts, whom I adore. One's been married 26. He goes, "I don't need those love languages. I've been married for 26 years. You need think I need advice." Chris needs it. He's been divorced twice. Give it to Chris. That's my other like co-host, my news guy. And so as I was going through the love languages, I was saying my husband is acts of service. Like when he armor rolls my car, that's how he says like I love you when he like vacuums it and like makes it all shiny. I'm like, wow, that's really but is true, that your act of service? Love. No, no. Right. I'm um I'm uh, a quality time. Yeah. I like to hang out together. We are and too. We do. T yeah, we that's and ours. that's what we do every weekend. He doesn't go out with his buddies and golf. He's only with us. And yeah. if we go to swim meets, we're all together. Nice. So anyway, to make a long story short, um, I told him um, my my husband's idea. He said, oh, we're gonna get this. I, I, today's his birthday. And I gave him a, a, a fireplace that he put on the, the porch. And when it arrived Fine. from Amazon, oh, <laughs> this is what he said. Oh, well, I'm going to do that from now on. 
I said, what? He said, I'm going to buy something I want for my birthday, um, for your birthday, and give it to you. Ooh. I'm going to buy something I want for your birthday and give it to you. I said, what do you mean? It's a fireplace for, like, the, the patio. And then my co-host goes, I'm going to follow the bro code here. I can just see you and the kids out there with your little pink sticks making s'mores <laughs> and pretending like this fireplace is for your husband. I'm like, well, you might be right. But he told me we're going on this great vacation, like dream vacation, something in Hawaii, Bali, you know, where are we going, you know, like overseas or something. No, we're going to go to Kentucky to a lake, and we have a boathouse. And when I saw the price of the boathouse, and I thought about where we could go with that amount of money, <laughs> apparently it's like a triple-decker houseboat. Houseboat. Now, is this for your birthday? Uh, yes. Was this- yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> it's like a triple-decker houseboat with like a slide. You slide off of like a hot tub and like a giant man barbecue. And I'm like, really, this is our dream vacation with like a bunch of coolers for, full of like Paps Blue Ribbon or something. I'm like, is this our dream vacation? He's like, oh, I did it when I was a kid. I've been dreaming of doing this ever since. I'm like, it's oh, been oh, his great. dream vacation. Yeah, exactly. I know. Exactly. Touche. Enjoy your fireplace. <laughs> I know. And your triple-decker slide <laughs> off the top, right? And your Schlitz or whatever, you know, old Milwaukee cooler full of old Milwaukee. But as for me, I'd like to go to Jamaica for my birthday. <laughs> right. I know. I just I'm like, oh, where's the lake? Kentucky. I'm like, oh, sounds great. I'm sure it will be. But I mean, and I'll have a blast. I don't care if we just go camping, but it's just funny that it's our dream vacation. Like, I never thought about a, a houseboat in Kentucky as being my dream vacation, especially for that price. Yes, Whoa. our dream vacation would be yeah. fishing in Wyoming. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, right, right. Our. I love that. We should couples should get together and split up and the five wives like go one place and the five right. husbands go another and have their dream vacations. We'll go fishing. Right. We'll go fishing in Wyoming. You can go to Paris. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. It's so different sometimes what we consider a yes. dream vacation. I'm sure it'll be great, especially because grandpa said now grandpa's going. Grandpa's like, I'm getting a speedboat. The kids can go skiing. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be fun. Water skiing. I haven't been there for done that for a while. All right, <laughs> something. So the UPS driver. Here we we're back to where we started. Yes. The UPS driver. You know, it's time of year. They're really busy. So when you hear this guy's glee, you will think that she left fresh hot baked chocolate chip cookies for him. So I won't tell you what she left for him because he's so gleeful. She catches him on her little camera that's on her front door, mm-hmm. and so she gets the audio of the UPS driver seeing that she's left snacks for them and a little note saying Aww. and this is the simplest story it's the simplest act it's like when you put together little packets for the homeless with water and you know combs and granola bars and things like that and then when you pull up you've got something ready yeah you know, a lot of my friends their church groups will do that but um so this is for the ups driver that you don't think of you know leaving something for them well she did because hmm. she's got drivers in her family but when i heard his glee i thought this would be a really great snack so when i heard what the snack was i was like wow he must really be hungry <laughs> drivers are really excited to drop off packages at this house. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I just see this guy's face on the camera and he, he basically was really ecstatic when he came up on the porch and saw the, the tree. Thank you. Tiffany Judd is a busy mom of two and does all of her Christmas shopping online. And since Santa gets snacks when he brings gifts, she thought her UPS and postal workers should get some too. So she leaves out treats for them. It's a good feeling. You know, this time of year, it's, it's, it's nice to, um, to give back to others. And it just made me feel good that he uh, was excited about that. A little treat that seems to have gone a long way. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
He'll certainly be excited when more of Tiffany's orders come in. What you was gotta, the treat? What no, was the treat? To, you have to play the beginning again. Just to listen to his thing. He goes, ooh. <laughs> listen, listen. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, doesn't sound like a man. Ooh, right. ooh. <laughs> it's, it's a big delivery guy. The video's awesome because he keeps, he keeps running back from the lawn up to back to the door. He runs back and forth like three or four times, like oh. excited, like Cocker Spaniel. Yeah. Uh, the way that, and he like just, you can Cocker see it Spaniel. in his face. He's, he's just so happy and excited. It's it's really what cool. was the um, treat? Do we know? Cheese and crackers and There's water. And crackers and a bottle of water, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Show you how, like, you know, someone being thoughtful, you know, can be, uh, you know. Yeah, and that's so unusual. I'm sure that has never happened. Yes. Wait, who's think about it. I don't, have never thought to do that for I the know, guys who run into dropping off our you stuff know, all day once long. Once in a while you see that bumper sticker, though, do random ca acts of kindness. Yeah. Yes. And it really impacts people. If I'm at a grocery store in a parking lot, I'll walk up and take somebody's cart for them. And you ought to see them light that. up. You oh. see him light up. Yeah. You know, like nobody ever offers that. So I'll I had grab like it a young guy do that for me when it was raining. He said, "I'll take it back for you." And I was so like shocked because yeah. you're not in the South. You still see that really those manners really. Yes. At, but you don't see that as much in other parts of the country. I mean, I'm sorry, but if you're listening, you know, in Birmingham, we love you because you know I really do see it in the South where people mm -hmm. are hold the door for you, really chivalrous. Yeah. I mean, and I walked in for breakfast the other day in the waiting room, and a gentleman got up so I could have his seat, and I'm like, "Oh no, no, that's okay." I mean, he was probably older than I was. And he's like, no, really, you can have my seat. I said, no, it's okay. And he sat back down and I said, but thank you that that is alive and well in America yes. still. Yeah, isn't it and nice? He's proud. Yeah. 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 Um, my mom uh, was in the um, line, you know, at the grocery store. And she still talks about this. And she'd mentioned that somebody had these cute little elf tights on. She's like, oh, are you Santa's elf or whatever? And she was chit chatting, which she does with everybody in the line, which of course drives me crazy because it's like complete strangers. And she'll just strike up a conversation and then she'll start talking about people that no one knows. Like, well, you know, I'm Uncle Merle in 57, and he used to really enjoy a good pair of, you know, tights or whatever, you know. <laughs> It's <laughs> a random story. And then my husband and I were like rolling our eyes. And then she's like, and my husband's over like, he got, she got him in a, she got a new, uh, new prey in her web, you know, her story web. <laughs> and so um, anyway, when she checked out, they paid for her um, little groceries, you know, it wasn't a lot, but like maybe 25 bucks. And mom was so touched by it. And then I, uh, my dad, uh, not, not so long ago had um, like an acquaintance, you know, and I remember it was the funniest thing. He's like, big Earl. I'm like, oh, big, big Earl and big Mary. And I'm like, oh, what do they call them? Because like, they're big. <laughs> said they, um, big Earl and big Mary or whatever their names were. It was something with big in front of it. He said they bought him breakfast and it, it made him cry that they'd bought his breakfast. You know, my dad's like in his mid 80s. He's got plenty of money. He just was so touched by the gesture of big yes. Earl and big Mary, you know, buying yes. him breakfast at the truck stop or whatever it was. You know, I thought it was really sweet. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's just these small, really sweet, really you know, sweet. acts of kindness. I don't know. I would challenge people right now, too. Um, my aunt just came out, and she is, is alone and uh, lives alone and doesn't, you know, alone, alone. Let's just suffice it to say that the holidays, she pretty much is by herself. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I challenge people to reach out to, you know, you're busy and you've got your family, but there are probably people that really could use a phone call or a little gift or, you know, I mean, on Amazon today, I, I you know, boy, it's like an ad for Amazon today. I found <laughs> a, a really cool Cubs hat for, you know, $4.55 and, and included shipping, you know, with there you go. So I sent somebody a little Cubs hat and I sent my, my brother like some funny socks that who's nice. alone and he'll be alone on the holidays. And That's uh gesture. Yeah, just, just a little kind gesture. Little things that make, mm -hmm. let them know. And then 
sometimes the note can really be the kicker. Like you can really put a nice note that details why they're important to you or why you were thinking of them or whatever, mm-hmm. rather than leave that generic thing that goes, hi, Bobby, you have received a gift from Angie Austin. Enjoy, exclamation point. Yeah. That's the yeah. like, generic yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, so maybe add something different. Give us your website, guys. The website is authenticandtrue.com and lots of free resources to grow on. Excellent. We'll be right back with the good news. The good news of Jesus for you in high definition radio and streaming at 670kltt.com. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver. Hi, it's Angie. If you want a super vacation deal, YMCA of the Rockies has $84 lodge rooms through the end of the year. Y is my favorite vacation spot offering this killer deal. My whole family stays in one of these lodge rooms. And here's the deal. $84 per night for a lodge room, and each room includes two free breakfasts, two-day minimum. Because it's the 110th anniversary, they're only offering 110 rooms at each location, YMCA of the Rockies Estes Park and YMCA of the Rockies Snow Mountain Ranch. So make your reservation now to get this deal. So go to ymcatherockies.org. And these are some of the things that are included. Arts and crafts, hiking, roller skating, campfires and s'mores. You can also pay a little extra and do some snowshoeing and horseback riding. We love this place. It's our absolute favorite vacation spot in the United States of America. Again, ymcatherockies.org. For over 120 years, the Denver Rescue Mission has been providing services to those in need and the homeless in the metro area. It is the oldest full-service Christian charity in the Rocky Mountain region. Since its conception in 1892, it has expanded to helping the homeless and hungry to provide services for men and single mothers, offering programs such as rehabilitation for those suffering from addiction and abuse, education and career centers, family services, and life restoration. The Denver Rescue Mission is always in need of your assistance. You can help this growing organization by donating clothing, food, furniture, and more at any of the drop-off locations. For more information on their services, ways you can help, and to donate online, go to denverrescuemission.org. denverrescuemission.org. Changing lives in the name of Christ. Hey, welcome back to The Good News. Angie Austin and friends here for The Good News. Beatrice Bruno, Donna Hetzler, and also Michelle Ron. You know, uh, they're authors, and we speak together as well quite often. And uh, I I have them join me on the program all the time because it's just fun to have a group of Christians together who are normal people. And, uh, you know, (laughs) we don't don't make the news. Well, you know, the people, I'm 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 so tired of the Christians that make the news. A lot of them are nuts. And then people are like, you Christians are crazy. No, the ones on the news are crazy Thank you. you know <laughs> and right. so um i was really interested when i to be honest with you benjamin weicker i'm going to be honest with you when i got the interview assignment for the book the reformation 500 years later 12 things you need to know benjamin weicker i was like i'm not sure if this is my cup of tea he's fascinating Ooh. he's brilliant hmm. and he's on his way to class soon after this interview so we're just going to get right into it so welcome back benjamin i know we've done a short interview with you we have more time now so give the ladies and also you listening give uh, we're going to give you just a synopsis what's the book about well as the the title actually points back to the Reformation, but the consequences of the Reformation 500 years later, which we are about to celebrate. So the initial focus is on what are Christians facing today, all Christians, Protestant and Catholic, and how do we understand that in terms of what happened 500 years ago? 
Now, the way you explained it to me in our initial interview is that Christians um, are getting persecuted not just from the right, not just from ISIS, uh, but from the left as well. So explain the impact that's having on Christians and explain who's persecuting us. Exactly, and that's, that's the now that the book begins with. That is, I, I begin by what is the current state of Christians. Well, all Christians, Catholic and Protestant, uh, are being persecuted both by radical Islam and by radical secularism. Uh, people may not be aware, unfortunately it's not in the news, it should be, that over the last decades, about 100,000 Christians a year have been martyred by radical Islam. Okay, stop right there. You're telling us that, that we're, not, we're not seeing this on the news, but that 100,000 Christians have been killed around the world for not denouncing Christianity, that they are asked to denounce Jesus, to denounce Christianity. They don't, and they're killed. So 100,000 have been martyred around the world? A year. Yes, a year. Why, why aren't we hearing about this? Well, that you know, the answer actually goes to the to the other group that's persecuting Christians, and that's the radical secularists. They don't care; they won't report on it. It's not important to them. <laughs> and the reason is, if you trace back radical secularism, uh, even prior to the Reformation, it believes that Christians are the enemies of progress. That's right. They are the ones that uh, keep us from bringing about a heaven on earth, and so. Uh, even that long ago, those many centuries ago, they had set themselves against Christianity. So today, they literally don't care about Christians. Mm -hmm. And so they, they you know, 100,000 years, or any other group that were being martyred at that rate, that would be reported all over the place. Even if it were penguins, my gosh, it would be reported. Right. <laughs> but Christians aren't worthy, uh, you know, of note in that respect. So that is not reported. And that ra uh, radical secularism was the source of persecution both in the 20th and now the 21st century. These things go hand in hand in actually, I hope, bringing the Reformation to the close, because Catholics and all kinds of Protestants are coming together mm -hmm. in the face of this double persecution. And guess what? We realize that we have more in common than divide us. We have more at stake in our in and defending ourselves in common than we do have sort of with the old fights that go back 500 years. Okay, so this is a pretty in-depth book. Let's get into some of the things that we need to know because you specifically say that there are 12 things we need to know. So what are some of the most important things you want to get across to us? Well, the ones that I just mentioned are are the beginning point as we need to know that that Christians are being persecuted now. Um, by radical secularism and radical Islam, but we need to know about the place that both of those played in the Reformation, because we tend to think, hey, um, you know, atheism, that's, that's new, right? Hmm. Well, as I point out in the book, um, atheism arose in the West prior to the Reformation, hmm. and so prior to the Reformation, you have atheism spreading throughout Europe from Italy, and again, it sees Christianity as the enemy, and it's been building up ever since. Mm -hmm. uh, they were intent on manipulating the differences between Christianity for their own good, of a kind of a divide-and-conquer thing. And so we need to know that about the Reformation, that it was made more divisive by people who wanted to get rid of Christians, period. So you have that little irony, and a lot of people don't know that when Martin Luther was was uh, uh, reforming in the early 1500s, 
the main thing on the news was actually that Islam was about to conquer Europe. Hmm. Uh, Muslims had been, and I, and I give an account of this in the book, I go back all the way to the 600s and show, look, century by century, they're intending to, uh, to conquer all the infidels and hence all of Europe and around the Mediterranean. And by the 1500s, uh, after having taken the Constantinople, that is uh, in present-day uh, Turkey, uh, Istanbul, uh, they were flooding into Europe. And the main thing that the emperor was worried about was not Luther, but is this the last century for Christendom? Is this it? You know, or it's, so the very fear that Europeans feel today about radical Islam was ten times fold back then, and Luther himself believed that there wasn't going to be a 500 years uh, afterward, because he thought he was in the last century, and that God was using... Islam is the rod of his anger, uh, and uh, the, he lived in the last century, and that was the book of Apocalypse, uh, the book of Revelation, come alive. And so we see that something that concerns us now had roots way back then. Well, Islam didn't take over Europe back then, but it is today, and one of the reasons is that Europe has been secularized, it's been weakened, Christianity itself has been weakened by division, and basically, the Muslims are just moving in uh, into that vacuum. So, uh, you know, uh, there's many other things we need to know about the Reformation. But, but to tag on that, I, I wanted to uh, to elaborate that those things were going back on 500 years ago. You know, it's interesting because Europe has so transformed. And uh, I recently had a friend go on vacation there, and she w um, was a she's a former CIA operative, so she and her husband actually can blend in in the Middle East. They speak the language and can feel comfortable. And she said after, you know, short conversations, I mean, first of all, I told her, You're, you don't take the kind of vacations that I want to take. You don't have umbrella <laughs> drinks. They, like, go under, <laughs> they go undercover and interview Middle Eastern men. And she talked about young Middle Eastern men coming uh, to Europe, not necessarily because of any kind of persecution or they're trying to rescue their family, uh, that they get there. And she said within a half an hour of talking to them, they'd be very honest, the young men, about the fact that they didn't need to find work because the benefits were fine and why would I get a job? And then yeah. she said to find out their absolute disdain and hatred for Christians and Jews for that matter, it was oh, yeah. so um, right on the surface. Once they trusted and could speak their language, she said they were very honest, in particular with her husband. And then then a lot of them, she said, were getting involved, um, being recruited for the drug trade. She spent mentioned yeah. specifically the opium drug trade. But mm -hmm. I said, well, what about you know, um, you know, the way that our relatives came to the U.S. and they were enculturated, like they wanted to learn the language, they wanted to set up a business, they wanted to be part of the community. I said, do they want to become part of Europe and become? No, she said they want you know their culture to be brought to Europe and for their culture to be the predominant culture. And I think you and I talked about these no zones where police are yep. not supposed to go and women I mean the sexual assaults of women um, I just interviewed a, a reporter who works with the New York Observer and uh, Andre Walker and he was telling me uh, that in these some of these towns north of London uh, where there are he goes what you call the Manji in the US is not really a flattering term they're called poor white trash there and he mm -hmm. said when what I mean is that they're not necessarily from an educated family and that this is so uh, not politically correct to talk about. And he said it was hard for him to get some of these stories even 
published um, oh, yeah. that they're, he call, they're called Muslim rape gangs. And he said what happens is these poor girls from uneducated families and some of the smaller towns outside of London were being what we would call it here in the U.S. sex trafficked and that no one wanted to um, uh, report on it because it wasn't politically correct to say that these men were treating women differently and abusing them yep. and that some of the parents that were complaining, he said, were actually being arrested or in trouble with the law for saying my 13-year-old daughter is uh, is has been taken or is being trafficked throughout a family. And it blew my mind that we could become a society that's so politically correct that we would not uh, protect these young, whether they're Christian or not, young girls um, yeah. from these men because it was politically incorrect to pinpoint that their their religion or the, their country of origin. And he said they actually started calling them Asian rape games to not offend the Muslims. <laughs> and then the Asian groups were upset. And I'm like, am I talking to an actual reporter? Is this like a <laughs> legit story? Is this happening? Because I'm not hearing anything about anything like this. Yeah, and, and, and the the, uh, the that actually is one of the things that I go over in the book. Where did it come about that uh, the secular left has this weird relationship where Christianity can't do anything right and Muslims can't do anything wrong? And it's what you're calling political correctness. Well, political correctness actually has its foundation uh, in the rise of secularism, which, again, you know, it's, it, it's in the 1400s, right before the Reformation. But by the time that these secular uh, atheists um, really gained cultural control in the 1700s, that is the Enlightenment, and again, I document this in the book, uh, what you have is a kind of, uh, a, 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 what, an affirmation society of Islam, uh, so that, there, you know, again, uh, you can't get any worse uh, religion than Christianity, but look how wonderful Islam is. So you have the praising of Islam in the 1700s, uh, and, and, you know, always putting a good spin on everything they've done historically and a bad spin on everything that Christians have done. And you think, oh, that's that's the New York Times, isn't it? Well, no, that's the 1700s. And the New York Times is actually uh, historically related to this movement. So this, what we're calling political correctness, is centuries old, and it's rooted in the rejection of Christianity in the culture and the attempt to replace it both with a secular culture, but one that says, hey, you know, Christianity is rotten, and, and any religion is better than that, and Islam is especially good. Well, that's what creates the, the, uh, the weird situation in Europe, where the secular left is, is doing everything it can to expunge Christianity, at the same time as doing everything it can to welcome Muslims, mm-hmm. no matter how badly it turns out. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, where did this come from? Well, read the book. You'll find out where it came from. Well, I, you know, just in case you're just joining us, Benjamin Weicker, uh, he has a Ph.D. from Vanderbilt University. He's taught at Marquette University, St. Mary's, Thomas Aquinas College, and on and on. He writes full-time as a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute and at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. So he is well-versed in this topic, and we are talking about his book, uh, and, and you may have heard a shorter interview with him, but we just thought, my goodness, this is worth uh, delving into. The Reformation, 500 years later, 12 things that you need to know. Again, Benjamin Weicker. Ladies, um, any questions? I see you all taking notes, and you're all authors. <laughs> so what, what are you thinking here? Sir, um, this is Beatrice Bruno. I'm, I was an 
Army drill sergeant and, and served in the Army for 15 years. And one of the things I noticed when we went to other countries um, during our you know, assignments, that when you got to those other countries, you had to do what they said to do in the way, this, in the way that they said to do it. Because if not, you would get in trouble because you're not a citizen and you have to obey their laws. Now, my question to you is, how are these, um, I, I don't want to call them extremists, but I'm, I'm just going to say, how are these foreigners going into the European countries and just taking over religiously and, and certain areas, in, in the certain cops areas, aren't yes. supposed to go anymore, and that women yeah. all of a sudden are treated to. And I don't know if the women on the left realize this. The people that they're defending are not people that would defend their rights right. as women. So, oh, no, right. no, no. So how yeah, are they no. getting in and, and infiltrating yeah. in, in such a huge way? That is that is a great question because people think, oh my gosh, this is something new. And one of the things that I do in the book is is provide a chapter on Islam. Say, if you understand the history of Islam, mm -hmm. you understand the effect that it had on the Reformation, but you also understand what's going on today. And so from the very beginning, the goal of Islam has been to conquer. Mm -hmm. That is, it, it wants to universalize Islam so everyone is under Islamic rule. And so that push into Europe has been something that's been trying to achieve for centuries, and it almost got there. It was on the cusp of doing it in the 1500s, and if it had done it, things would be much different today. Mm. But what's happened is this. Uh, uh, what you have is uh, Europe's been secularized, and that makes it weak. It makes it weak in two ways. One is that it refuses to say that Christianity might actually be a better religion to have around than Islam. It, it can't say it. It can't get those words out of its mouth, because that would be to undermine its entire project. Uh, but it also can't really understand what Islam is about. That is, it refuses to go back in the history and see it's been trying to conquer Europe since the 600s. And so just moving in demographically is part of that. That's why they don't assimilate. They're not trying to. At this point, uh, uh, what you have is a not just jihadi, uh, jihadic, you know, uh, uh, implosions all over the place, but you have a demographic transformation. That is, the secularism is the source of uh, the rejection of the Christian understanding of sexual morality. What happens is nobody's having babies. Is basically that, and uh, Islam comes in and they're having something like you know eight to ten per family. And so you don't need to come in there with a sword. All you need to do is move in and, wow. and have more children, and you have a demographic displacement so they can achieve uh, what they tried to do uh, in the 1500s, literally just displacing European Christianity. They have no intention at all of assimilating, and that's why you have to, uh, as it were, as you're saying, conform to them, and you can't make them conform to what would... Uh, at least be a secular understanding, but certainly not a Christian one. And Benjamin, you say in the book, though, uh, Christianity is not going away. Well, we, it w depends on how we act. In other words, mm -hmm. you know, uh, for Christians, the gates of hell can't prevail right. against the Church, but that doesn't mean we can't, you know, if, if we aren't good Christians, and if we're disunited like we are now, yeah. we're that much weaker. That they were that much less capable of withstanding the assault by the secular left and by Islam, and secular society itself needs us. It doesn't have any moral foundation at all. That's one of the reasons Islam attacks it. That's right. 
because they look how immoral it is. And they say this is a decayed civilization. We can just move in and take over. Wow. So Benjamin, yeah. I want to make sure people can find you and your books. They can find me on my website, which is simply enough called BenjaminWiker.com. And uh, the book is available there, but of course it's available at Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. Well, absolutely fascinating to have you on the show again. Thank you so much for your time. We know you're headed off to uh, to uh, a class right now. So thank you, Benjamin. Thank you. Thanks thank so you. much. And thank you for having me. God bless. God bless you. Wow, ladies. Yes, that went too fast. Well, I know it was a fast, wasn't it? A lot of information. Yeah. All right, Angie Austin here along with Adam. Adam is an ambassador with ARC, and when you shop at ARC, it helps the ambassadors. They help people in our community. Every dollar you spend helps, and everything you donate helps. ARC is a tremendous benefit to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Now, there's a Saturday sale. Most items half off. If I'm a senior, 55 and over, on Tuesdays, most items are half off. How do we find out about that? ARCthrift.org. How about if I want to donate? Where do I donate? 303 238 Jane. You call them and they'll pick up whatever you need. Furniture, small, big. Medium. Uh, yep, absolutely. Uh, a small, big, medium. Yes, they'll bring the truck right on over. What's yes, the number? 303-238-JANE. Yeah, they bring a truck right to your house. 303-238-JANE. Yes, 303-238-JANE. ARCthrift.org. Does uh, ARC make you feel special? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I thought so. You are special. ARCthrift.org. As are you, babe. As are you. Thank you. Do you love working for ARC? I love Angie Austin here. Hey, back pain. You hear that and you think, yeah, I've got a little or I've got a lot. But if you have a lot, like my husband has had over the years, it is something that is life-changing and can be very debilitating. And a lot of people are fearful of surgery. Well, there is another way. Dr. Ike Karuvala is joining us. And Dr. K is a board-certified anesthesiologist. And he saw many of these surgeries over the years, spine surgeries, and he was seeing people come back again. And so he has something to tell us about, which he's seen a lot of success with, with the Denver Spine Institute. And you opened the Spine Institute back in 2006. Is that right, Dr. K? That's correct. It's going to be 12 years next month. And you're seeing success with, uh, this is not surgery. This is something different. Well, we have a non-invasive, non-surgical treatment program for certain types of uh, spine issues like low back and neck problems, mostly disc-related problems like a herniated disc, degenerative disc disease, certain types of spinal stenosis. We can help pretty much heal the herniated disc, reduce and heal degenerative disc disease, and get people back feeling good. Now, I know that helping people feel better and uh, be healthier is a passion of yours. Uh, what made you want to look into something that wasn't surgery, that was, you know, obviously much less invasive, that you can just come into the office for your treatments and then you leave and go right back to work? So this is something totally different. What gave you a passion for looking into this different procedure? Well, Lisa, my wife's also a physician. We both have the passion for health and wellness, and seeing many patients having failed back surgery gave me the reason to look further into this, and I came across a system that we're using probably about 12 and a half years ago. Now, in terms of success stories, I know you can't give specifics of patient names or things like that, but could you tell us about maybe uh, an example of someone that you really feel um, was successful in terms of treatment who had a, a life change in terms of their back getting better through your treatment? 
Sure, there's several that I could refer to, but one in particular, early in our practice, there's a guy who is an avid golfer, and he his passion is playing golf. And he's got a PhD from University of Denver. He's a businessman. He had a spine surgery for a herniated disc. And within six months, he was back in having a lot of pain. And he came to me, and he's been playing much better golf, according to him, since then. But he plays a lot of golf, and he travels a lot. And he comes back um, every two, three months to what he calls a touch-up treatment. And then he is good for... <laughs> many months again. He had a series of treatments. He did well. And then he comes back for what he calls touch-ups. Oh, wow. Well, that's obviously very satisfying when you see people get back on their feet in a way that, you know, even his golf game improving. Again, we're speaking with Dr. K. It's denverspineinstitute.com if you want more info. But I also work with Dr. K in terms of, you know, my energy, you know, feeling sleepy, exhausted all the time, uh, not as strong as I used to be, not, not able to do workouts as long. And we started a hormone treatment. And this isn't just for women. It's for men as well. So if you want to get information about that as well, blissfulmedspa.com. And then if people want, I love it, uh, Dr. K, that you will actually kind of give them a, you know, a little chat on the phone to see if these procedures are something that may work for them. So how do they reach you personally? Both for Denver Spine Institute and for Blissful Med Spa, the hormone treatments, I prefer to talk to these people on the phone before they arrange a formal consultation with me at the uh, clinic. So if they call the main number, which is 303-937-5395, I'd like to talk to them and find out if they've had an MRI. If so, I can get hold of that MRI, which will give me a lot of information and talk to them on the phone before arranging a formal consultation. Same thing with the hormone treatment. It's uh, good if I can talk to them on the phone. Wonderful. Again, you could reach Dr. K at 303-937-5395, 303-937-5395, Denver Spine Institute, or blissfulmedspot.com. Thank you, Dr. K. Thank you, Angie. Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at angieaustinradio.com.